Welcome everyone to another episode of Counting on Chasen. We are delighted that you are here today. We're going to be talking about the IRS 990 form. And with me today from Chasen and Company is Chris Babla, Director of Finance and Operations. Hey, Chris, welcome. Thank you, Julia. Glad to be here. Okay, talk to us a little bit about what Chasen and Company does, because we have a lot to dig into. I'm going to keep it simple. Um, we are a virtual outsourced uh, provider of accounting services for nonprofit or- organizations of all types and sizes. Amazing. So you really are the lead experts on all these things that I have to say get nonprofits a little anxious, right? Yeah, we like, like to think so. That's what we do day in and day out um, is, is nonprofit accounting and finance. So um and yeah, it can it can get uh, nonprofits a little out of sorts here and there. There are a lot of requirements, and um, that's what we help our clients do is stay on top of all that. I love that because, you know, the issue of compliance and doing the right thing and doing it on time and doing it correctly, it's a heavy load for so many nonprofits that are really trying to achieve their mission, vision, and values. And so we are delighted to have your expertise with us today so that we can really dig into this. Again, I'm Julia Patrick, CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy, joined today once again by Chris Bavilak. Okay, Chris, I gotta ask this question. The 990, more than just a tax form, it's the actual return, right? For a nonprofit? It it is a tax return for nonprofit organizations, as we'll probably talk about later, different levels. But um, it is required for every, uh, well, for most most nonprofits to file the Form 990 each year. And um, yeah, well, we're not going to talk about really so much the numbers and all the boxes that have to be checked, but um, some opportunities with the form. You know, it's such an interesting thing because I feel like um, all the board work that I've done Throughout the year, we talk about the 990s coming, the 990s coming, you know, we're preparing for the audit or we're trying to get all the information in. And it just seems like it marches towards this big, big task that strikes a lot of fear in the hearts of those people sitting around that table trying to help a nonprofit. But you're telling us a different story and that we really need to be thinking about the 990 in a different way because it gets shared and anyone can take a look at it. Is that right? That's true. It is a public document. And uh, whether you share it yourself, whether it appears on a website such as GuideStar or whether uh, or not to someone asks you for it. If someone asks you for your form 990, you have to provide it. Um, there are redacted forms that you often get from your tax accountant that takes out some of the personal and, and, and individual information. But um, the bulk of the form would still be shared. Wow. You know, I've heard um, across my journey in the nonprofit sector that the 990 really should be um, printed off and kept at, and now this is old school, but at the <laughs> receptionist's desk, because if there was ever a donor or a donor investor or funder that came into an organization, that it is supposed to be immediately available. Is that true or is that just kind of old school? Thing? Yeah, immediately might be a little bit, Okay, you know, reasonably reasonable time period. Of course, no one's keeping printed copies anymore. They're digital copies. 
Um, and, you, you know, we're going to do another another session of counting on Chazen on transparency, uh, but it is a good step towards uh, maintaining financial transparency to have it on your website, to have it available for anyone who wants to look at it. And of course, as I mentioned a minute ago, a lot of times uh, the 990s can be found on uh, a website like GuideStar. I love it. Okay, now you're talking about stakeholders mm-hmm. wanting to be able to use this information, access it. Um what does that look like? I mean, are are you thinking that donors are going to be looking at this or is it more geared towards maybe funders or larger donor investors? What's your take on this? Uh, really all of the above. If you think about anyone that is thinking about devoting time or money towards your mission, towards your organization, the 990 may be a place they want to take a look and see how your organization is structured and how the finances are of the organization, but also they'll want to learn more about your organization. Mm-hmm. And so um, that can be donors, that can be members, that can be grantors, uh, that can be volunteers, that can be board members, uh, partners, all kinds of different stakeholders who might want to become involved with your organization may use the 990 for information. Now you talk about this. Um, and when, when I heard you say this, it really reframed a lot of the stress over getting this document prepared and prepared correctly on time. And that is to take a look at this as maybe an opportunity for an elevator speech even. Like how are you communicating about your organization when you can't be there in that elevator necessarily? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a, uh, three primary places um, to to tout the uh, success of your organization in the 990. And it starts out, I think, part one, question one, it asks you what your mission is and your primary primary programs are. And there's an opportunity right there to talk about what you do as an organization and what are your some of your flagship programs. And, that, and that's what I kind of call the elevator speech okay. option, because if someone looks at nothing else but that part one, question one, and then uh, dives into your numbers, at least they'll get some information then about what you do and, and how you do it and, and who you serve. So that's an area that you can you can take advantage of. And I think now with the, with the digital form, it's it's pretty much a free form area. You have about as much space as you need to to write something um, you know significant. I don't. It probably doesn't go on for pages and pages and pages, but you've certainly got several lines there and can take take advantage of those several lines to to talk about your organization. And then quite ironically, in part three, question one, they ask you basically the same question all over again. And so it's another opportunity to either cut and paste and share the same information or or add to it a, a little bit more. But again, um, it's another opportunity to uh, to talk about your talk about your organization. Um, then there's, you know, I'm going to move on to schedule opportunity. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's so, schedule, schedule O. Yeah. Schedule O. Now, Help me out here. Where are all the other letters before you get to O? Or do you go straight from three to O? Part well, I'll tell you o. what, if, you, if you're working with a tax accountant to prepare your 990, they're going to worry about all the other letters and everything in between. Okay. They're going to have your financial data and they're going to uh, plug in the numbers. You'll have some questions to answer on some compliance checkboxes and, and things like that. Um, but for this particular purpose, you know, I, I recommend that people spend time with preparing a statement for Schedule O because it's something 
you can prepare once, put some time and effort into it the first time. And then year after year, what you're doing is you're tweaking the information and updating the information. But this really is a free form area to talk about the mission of your organization, the vision of your organization, maybe your core values, to talk about your flagship programs, as many programs as you want to talk about, who you serve, how you serve them. Um, you can put as much information in there as you want. And again, if you really think about it, and say, if someone comes to this document, I want them to know who we are and why they want to be a part of our organization in whatever way they want to. You know, I love what you're saying here because so often when we do submit um, IRS forms, there's a sense that it just goes somewhere and no one ever really looks at it. But you're really talking to us today on about a strategy that says, work this document because people will be looking at it and making decisions about your organization or if they're going to be mm-hmm. new stakeholders or continue to be stakeholders. It kind of changes my lens with how I look at this documentation. Exactly. It, it does very much change your lens and how you look at it, looking at it as an opportunity and not just a, not just a requirement each year. Now you said something really interesting about the schedule O. This is the place where we can really talk about our programming and things that we're actually doing and our communities to to work towards achieving our mission, vision, and values. What if we get all this work done, we, are, we know it's good and it's accurate and we send it in, mm-hmm. all good, okay, we're done, moving on to the next thing, and we drop a program or we add something significant. Um, is there a chance to go back and make a change or an update, or do we need to wait until the next 990 is filed? Yeah, I think generally you would wait until the next 990. Um, there are, of course, other ways to get your message out through your website and other communications that you do. Um, the 990 can be amended like any tax form can, but it's usually for financial you know, financial reporting purposes, not because you want to change a part of schedule or, okay. or a description like that. Okay. The other piece of this makes me think of, um, shouldn't this documentation um, be used in other places? I mean, it should have a, a similar tenor and attention to detail that you mm-hmm. might be using on grant forms or in contracting MOUs, is that fair to say, or is this really a different thing? No, it, it's, 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 it can be very similar information that you might be using somewhere else. Um, so you don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel. Um, it might force you to think about the information you're providing and say, can I provide more? Can I provide more information about the number of people I serve or the cost for serving each individual? Or, you know, is there, can I do better at, at I mean, these words selling my organization. Um, but um, so, again, if, if you're an organization that's already doing a lot of communications and you're using this for, for grant requests and you're using this on your website, stuff, well, cut and paste and, and, and put it in there. You don't need to re- re- reinvent the wheel. If what you're looking at doing at the Schedule O is kind of new and you're really kind of pulling this together, then I would say beyond the Schedule O, look at other ways that you can use this information. Where else can I use this information? So, so it's, it's really a holistic view of this, but um, it, it shouldn't be just a one, a one shot effort here. Wow. I love that you said that. How else can you be using this information? If you're going to go uh, you know, invest in getting it right and, and working it up, 
you better have opportunities, Schedule O, opportunity to get it used somewhere else. I think that's really wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see how that that makes some, but it, it makes a better investment of what you're doing uh, right. to get this going. I yeah, I mean, we all know nonprofits are strapped for time more than anything else. And the, and the first the first thing you need to accomplish is to fulfill your mission and serve your, serve your stakeholders. Um you know, so you don't want to, and that's why, you know, to be honest, that's why a lot of people don't even look at this is because it's another thing to do. And in, and you already have lots of things to do. You have to manage board members and your staff and donors and, and all of that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I think this is one that's worthwhile putting a little bit of time in too, because again, you do it once, you tweak it every year, um, but it's out there and you never know who's going to, uh, fall upon it and see it and say, Hey, that's an organization I'd like to fund, or that's an organization I'd like to be a part of. So part of this, I mean, we're talking about the information that we really want to be able, that we want to communicate. Um, And if we drill down a little bit, you, you mentioned the cost per person in programming. Um, What are some other things that maybe we want to report on? Would it yeah. be too granular to talk about the number of volunteers or hours or is that no, appropriate? Not at all. You know, people love data. People love numbers. It, it tells a story. You know, if, if uh, <laughs> to use an exaggeration, if you report out, we have one volunteer and or you report we have a thousand volunteers, which one's going to really hold, hold more weight? Which group are you going to want to be a part of? Um, if you feed, you know, 20 people a year, versus a thousand people a year. Again, what, what holds more weight? So talk about the numbers of people you serve. Talk about the numbers, numbers of people who are um, involved with the organization. If you want to mention your board and say that we've got, you know, 24 dedicated members of the such and such community serving on our board, that can be valuable because then it shows, it shows other people that, um, you know, there's some social value here that, that they're, that people care about your organization and they're participating in your organization. I love that. And that's really smart. And that's something I would have um, necessarily thought of in communicating on an IRS form. And so I think that I'm, I really appreciate you bringing that up mm-hmm. along with that. Would it be appropriate to say these are our main partners or our stakeholders or our funders, or is that not really appropriate? I think some judgment has to be used as to, you know, how, what, again, what the value of, of that is and, and would the partners or funders want you to do that or not. Some like to ma- okay. you know, maintain some anonymity. You got to be got to be respectful of that. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, if there's a primary partnership that your organization has with another like minded organization and together you are accomplishing big goals. And that could be, again, something that's very helpful, particularly if that other partner is also well known. And again, it kind of validates you. If, if they're working with you, then maybe I want to work with you too. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that because again, it's really a mindset shift to be thinking about this return as, dare I say, a communication device. Absolutely. You know, it's almost, I, I almost want to say it's a marketing tool, Chris. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, I, I've worked in nonprofits all my career and it was, you know, always taboo to say sales or marketing, but right. really we are marketing our nonprofit organizations. We're attracting donors, we're attracting volunteers, attracting funding. And um, so whether you want to call it communications or call, call it marketing, this is another tool to use that most people don't think about it. 
that way. Well, let's drill down yet again. And I, I feel like I'm really peppering you with all these questions because you've given me a lot to think about here today. Um, the Form 990, understanding it is a nonprofit's annual return, but it's not necessarily that clear cut, right? Because talk to me about the 990 EZ. Is it really easier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard that it's not necessarily that much easier. It is, um, you know, the, the primary form 990 needs to be completed by most uh, nonprofit organizations that have revenue over $200,000 a year and, and assets of over five or and assets of and or assets of five hundred thousand dollars or more. The EZ is uh, pretty much in the group of about fifty thousand in revenue to uh, that two hundred thousand dollar mark. And then, uh, if you're under fifty thousand dollars, there's a postcard, really just a digital postcard you need to complete. And that that's very very easy to do. And then, private foundations of any size have their own nine ninety as well, the nine ninety PF. So up to and then there are some organizations that aren't required. Uh, to fill out the uh, 990 form, uh, a lot of them religious-based organizations, but uh, um, that can that information can all be found on the I'm sorry on the IRS website very easily. Okay. Awesome. And then we're looking at again being compliant, get, using the right form, getting the best uh, bang for the buck in terms of getting our information out there and using this tool with that lens of not only reporting out to the IRS but to potential and existing other stakeholders, when is all this due? Because this is a lot of work. <laughs> it is. And again, for, for a lot of organizations, um, even if you're not doing an audit, you're probably going to have a tax preparer helping you with this. Um, it, there is a lot of work along the way during the year to make sure you're keeping your accounting up to date and your, your financials are, are in good order so that the data can be easily transitioned to the 990 because the 990 actually structures data a little bit differently than you would on a normal normal financial statement. So there's a little bit of transition work that has to be done there. But um, typically the 990s do five months and 15 days after the end of your fiscal year. So if you have a December 31st fiscal year end, then May 15th is your due date. Um, and if it's June, it's November 15th and, and so on. Um, just like our personal returns and what we use sometimes you can't get an extension of six months if you need it. And a lot of times the reason it, that's not uncommon. And a lot of times that happens because the organization's audit isn't done yet. And they usually complete your audit before you file your taxes. So if your audit's not quite ready, you might want to get that extension and give yourself a few more months to get the 990 in. So then that, that has to kind of lead me to another question. And that is who's doing this work. I mean, if, in terms of preparing this file, are you saying that the nonprofit should be crafting all of uh, this this narrative and then giving it to the accounting professionals and then they're going to load it into these documents? Because they're pretty substantial documents. They are. Um, of course, the tax preparers have software and such to easily convert you know accounting data into what's needed for the 990. I mean, what I was sort of getting at is, couple things you can do. I mean, obviously you want to keep your books well throughout the year because you don't want to have a scramble at the end of the year to get everything cleaned up and in a, in a way that your tax preparer can use it and just save some time and money there. Um, and also there are, are ways to structure your chart of accounts um, in your accounting system to help um, 
extract the data needed for the 990 at the end of the year, which also makes it a little bit easier. But that's that's kind of all part all part of the initial setup of the accounting system to have it in a good place to to do that. I love it. I love it. It makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, I, I learned a lot today. I know that anybody that's joined us on the Counting and Chasing series is learning a lot. This is really an exciting project that we're doing with Chazen and Company. And Chris, you're going to be on with us several times, as well as some of your other um, subject matter experts. But this is really an opportunity for us to, to talk about some of the things that we, we should know, but sometimes we don't, and then we're afraid to ask, or we ask when it's too late, <laughs> and we're trying to correct a problem, which we don't want to be in, of course. Um, so I really appreciate you taking this time, reducing the stress that I think sometimes that we hear um, of, you know, getting that 990. I can tell you over my career as being a, a board member and a trustee, there was always a ramp up to that meeting when the 990 was going to be presented and, you know, we, mm -hmm. everybody had to be around the table and, <laughs> and it just kind of struck fear. And yet I would, I find that a lot of times we didn't ask questions because we, we, it was almost like it was too late or, you know, we didn't understand. And, and that I think has played out in a lot of our nonprofits across this country. Yeah, there are a lot of rules and regulations that affect nonprofits uh, around accounting and financials. I sometimes comment that it seems like the, the organizations that have the most going on, the most stress on their staff, and, and in some cases, the least money, have, have the highest bar to, to, to reach to, in their finances and, and accounting work. And that's, um, you know, that's, that is where we come in to help and try to bring some order of things. But, um, and, and if you've got someone who knows what's going on, it doesn't need to be quite as, quite as daunting. It doesn't need to be keeping you up at night so much. Uh, yeah. uh, would that help? I love that. Well, Hey, Chris Bavlak, director of finance and operations for Chazen and company. Thank you so much for joining us today on Counting on Chazen. We're going to have a lot more that we dig into. So stick with us and let us help you figure out how you can spend more time on your nonprofit's mission, vision, and values. Letting somebody else take care of all the accounting stuff, right? <laughs>